the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA09. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Effortlessly pretend like we didn't just have that conversation. Taylor, how's how's you how was the drive-in movie theater? Um, it was very nice. We saw well, we have a truck now, so we wanted to drive the truck to the drive-in. So that was super fun. We like got had this like tiny blow-up mattress. So we used that and then like had some blankets and stuff and watched the movie and it was very delightful. And then like I don't know anything about trucks. So I was like, I think it'll be fine. Let's leave the blankets in the back and we definitely lost the air mattress in the back. Like it's gone. It's in the wind. But was the truck bed closed? Not like the top. Okay. Yeah. I'm surprised the air mattress would fly out, actually. I thought it had like heavy blankets on it. I thought it would I thought it would be okay, but it was not. So lesson learned. Interesting. But you did you see it fly out? Because you've stopped and gotten it? We like heard it and then like I stopped we stopped and I, and I put everything else in the car, like in the cab part of it. But I um no, it was pitch black. It was like it's like a really, really dark road, and so I was like, "I'm not, we're not dying for this air mattress." <laughs> like, yeah, 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 not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, not worth no. it. And was it was it funner to see Mario Kart in a truck? Yeah, it's so fun. Like we like all snuggled and kind of we're all sitting together, and and Miles is the sweetest little boy. He kept leaving the snuggle to stick his butt out the end of the truck and fart. <laughs> He didn't want to fart in the snuggle. Oh my god, that's so cute. He's so cute. So he'd be like, I'll be right back. And he'd like go a little, a little fart and then come back. I think I commented when I saw a picture of Juan with a truck that we have to go get him cowboy boots next. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Still looking truck. Still looking yeah. truck. Yeah. Cool. Well, shall we get rolling? Yeah. Well, let's say first that you're you're in Ireland. I'm in Ireland. And we tried to record this a couple times and we were both unavailable. It is it is probably the most inconvenient time zone overlap of anywhere. Like yeah. Australia and New Zealand have a much wider gap in time, but it actually circles back around in a way that makes it much more convenient. Ireland is yeah. not. It no. is 4 p.m. here. What time is it for you, Taylor? 8 a.m. 8 a.m. for you. It's 4 p.m. for me. And I'm here for a wedding. So weddings start midday. Um, and... Yeah. yeah, it makes it super, super inconvenient. And, like, actually, there's another thing. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but there's another thing happening tonight at a tavern that's supposed to start at 6, but I think I'm just going like, to go a little bit late because I should need yeah. some time. To, like, So the invite says it starts at 6 and it goes. So it says 6 p.m. dash late. <laughs> so there is no actual term end to this, but. Amazing. Um, yeah, my body's, my body's seriously hurting right now, but. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really, really cool. It was really fun. It was an amazing wedding. They're an amazing couple. You get to hang out with a lot of old nature builder people, which was really cool. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Good All fun. good things. But yeah, I guess we can go ahead and kick things off. Welcome to Doom to Fail. I'm Farce, joined here by Taylor. We were just having a little bit of a chat about farting in truck beds and Mario yep. Kart and uh, Ireland. Yep. Reuse. This is going to be released on time because I'm further ahead in time i can spend all my morning editing the podcast for release at 10 a.m pacific on said monday so all right yeah yeah it's gonna actually work out perfect okay good so uh we're gonna go ahead and kick things off and hold on did i pick a drink yet i don't know if i picked a drink you go first today right i think i do go first so wait you should start with your drink then Okay, well, I'm, I actually am drinking coffee, but my drink is a mimosa because it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Taylor. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. It has nothing to do with my story, but I just, I have some Prosecco in the fridge and I will make myself a mimosa later. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I need to call my mom. Okay. Call your mom. Yeah. The wedding, again, my head's just been in a different headspace for the time being. But it's I think, still Mother's you know, Day. Yeah. It's still Mother's Day. So I think for me, I've um I've been like mainlining Guinnesses I'm sure for you the past eight days. So mm-hmm. I think I'm just gonna go with Guinness. I think that's my drink. Gotcha. You're ninety percent Guinness at this point. Yeah. By body weight, I am. And I'm not and it actually has nothing to do with the story. Because our story is more of like a Hollywood story. And this and Guinness is a very Irish beer, but I'm feeling Irish. So I'm gonna go with that. Nice. Yeah, you're in Ireland. When so in, I'll, when in Ireland? 
went in Ireland, mainline Guinness and Jameson yep. and Middleton and Redbreast, and the it goes on like that. So I started researching my favorite murder in American true crime history. And I got pretty far before I realized that it actually has nothing to do with the premise of our show. So I stopped. <laughs> but what I was what I was researching was actually a murder that you mentioned before, Taylor. Can you guess what can you guess which one this was? No, wait, what your favorite murder is? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can I have one hint? Okay. You mentioned it in a podcast where you referenced the Biltmore. Oh, the Black Dahlia. There you go. Yep. Okay. Black Dahlia. So I got in the weeds on the Black Dahlia murder. There's so many details around this. There's so many suspects. And what I realized was nobody was charged. We just have like some educated guests on who did it. But as a result of that, we don't actually know why she was killed. So there's one presumption I read that she was killed because this doctor who owned the Jaws house, remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That he uh, got her pregnant and wanted her not to have a kid, and so he killed her. There's another story I read where she um, she was killed by Bugsy Siegel, like a famous mobster at the time, mm-hmm. and was thrown around, thrown over the, to the um, under the Hollywood sign where her body was found. But really, like there is no conclusive details on what happened to her. So as a result, it's kind of like just an unsolved mystery. So why w- there's no red flag, right? So what can you say about that? What about that redhead cop? Did, did I don't. Him? I didn't read about a cop doing it. It's like a redhead cop that like might have done it. I don't know. Is, anyway, is the fact that he is redheaded. Does that have anything to do? With, is that how they identify him? Yeah. Okay. Ginger is suspicious. Gingers are. I, you know what? They. I can't say that here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You're in the wrong space. Don't tell anyone I said that. Can't say that here. <laughs> um, but yeah so i was like okay well like that's kind of out i mean i do have a pretty good write-up on it so we could i could probably do a little side piece side thing on that yeah, but absolutely. um i decided to kind of stick it stick with la stick with black and white la and i shifted to another super super famous and mysterious death the death of a woman named virginia rap do you know that Ooh, name I don't, th- I don't think so okay you might know the other name because the other name is a reason why this case is famous so the person who was the alleged perpetrator of this was a guy named Fatty Arbuckle. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There we I go. I do know this one. Okay. There we go. So for better or worse, the main character in the death of Virginia is basically Fatty Arbuckle. For mm-hmm. those that don't know, Fatty was basically the equivalent of like a Ben Stiller in like the early 1900s. So he was basically like a renowned com- comedian. He was a silent film star and he was essentially Hollywood royalty. I, I'm going to get into, like, how much this guy made. Like, he was insane how much money this guy made. Uh-huh. But digging digging into, like, the background and bio of Fatty. So, he was actually born Roscoe Arbuckle in 1887 in Smith Center, Kansas. Fatty's dad was kind of an asshole. Fatty was born 13 pounds. Whoa. Which, that's heavy, right? Holy shit, yeah. Was his mom okay? Um. My kids were six and they were, that's pretty small. I think average is like seven or eight. Thirteen's a lot. It's Got a big it. Baby. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, his, his full name is Roscoe Conkling Arbuckle. And the reason for that is because his dad was so sure that the mom cheated on him to get pregnant by Fatty because they were both very slight people. And this <laughs> kid was born at 13 pounds. And he was like, obviously this came to my kid. So he named him Roscoe Conkling Arbuckle after Roscoe Conkling, who was a U.S. senator known for being a womanizer and like a philander and just sleeping around a bunch. So that's like oh, what a dick. how his life started was he was named after basically a guy that was like very much looked down upon in society. And yeah, that was basically it. So I don't think that is true. That's not, I mean, like, who knows if that's true, but like, that's not true. But like, you can't have a big baby if you're little. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I. Yeah. I assume that's not true, but I mean, again, like 13 pounds might be freakishly huge. I don't know, but um, yeah. yeah, that was a, that was his take on it at least. So at 11 years old, I mean, this, this, this actually, this case my head and thinking about this stuff. So at 11 years old, Fatty's mom died and basically the dad was like, you're not my kid. I'm not going to support you. Wow. <laughs> so, so like, I was thinking like, I would, okay. So again, going back to me being in Ireland, Jeff Dunn is the one who planned this entire trip. Like every nice. minute of it was accounted for. You go from here to here. It takes this many minutes to go here. 
All of it. Every second of it was planned by him. If he hadn't done that, I was like, dude, I would have just landed in Ireland and probably just like died somehow. Like I, I wouldn't have even gotten yeah. to the, the wedding venue. This kid was 11 years old and was like, <laughs> go support yourself. It's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And then by 17, Fanny joined what is like now we would consider a comedy troupe, like like improv type of thing. It was uh, uh-huh. back then the name for that what it was essentially was a Bob Bill show. So it was like him and a bunch of his friends. They would do like these acts around the city and all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like the start of his foray into the entertainment industry. He blew up from there. By 22, by age 22, he was in silent movies. And he was basically this like huge celebrity. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a it was this one show called Keystone Cops that is where he got his launch. So he did this sitcom for I think two or four se- no two seasons. Keystone Cops, he did that. And then from there became famous enough to where he is like a silent film star, essentially. That show, Keystone Cops, that's where the pie in the face gag comes from. Like he invented that. Yeah, I feel like that's like a a pseudonym for like co- bumbling cops. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can you can look up stills of it. You can still find those. Um, and that's basically what it is. Like again, mm-hmm. because so Fatty, we'll find out a little bit later. He was called Fatty because he's overweight, right? And yeah, so because he was overweight, like it was a bumbling cop thing. That that was kind of like the yeah. whole gag they put together. So that was the launch of his career. And really, it was like, I wrote down, it was basically like when Jennifer Aniston did, did Friends, then transitioned into, into doing films. That was essentially it. In 1914, so two years into his run on that show, Keystone Cops, Paramount Pictures offered him $1,000 per day as a salary. So I didn't know this, but apparently back in the day, actors weren't independent contractors. They don't go from making a movie for this studio to that studio to the other studio. They're hired on retainer by uh-huh. MGM or Warner Brothers, or in this case, Paramount. That was that was the standard back then. Totally. And go ahead, sorry. I don't think it's like a show. It wasn't like a, it was like was it, were they like short films? Because it wasn't like TV. Yeah, that's true. It, it, so it's a sitcom, it a but it, you must have yeah. gone there to watch it. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, there wasn't. No, You're hilarious because like no one, no one likes Jennifer Aniston movies. I know. I know. <laughs> it's I, not like I, a. They can be fun, but not funny. I'll say that much. Fair. So, four years into this arrangement with Paramount, Fatty, of uh, him making $1,000 per day, like, that contract was was crazy because it segued into a, another contract after he became successful with Paramount to a $3 million deal. So what, $3 million, what, what year was it? This would have been 1920, 1921. And he made $1,000 a day? And Well, it was $1,000 a day for four years. Then he got a contract for $3 million for a three-year deal. Oh, my God. That is so much money. I would love $1,000 a day. Okay, That's I so much money up. right now. That's $54 million today. Wow. So by comparison, right now, the highest paid actor is The Rock. And that's he, nice. he makes $89 million. Wow. So that's the caliber of fame this guy was on. I know it's yeah, fun yeah. to think about because it's like, who knows this guy? Like nobody, nobody cares, right? We only know him because of the, what I'm going to discuss here. But at the time, he was essentially The Rock. Yeah. Caliber famous. So. Totally. Okay. So let's pivot to the other person involved here, Virginia Rapp. So Virginia was born in Chicago. She moved to California in 1916, where she met and got married to someone who was basically irrelevant because he got hit in the like most Looney Tunes way possible. He got hit by a streetcar. He got run Ooh. over by a streetcar and killed. So oh. I guess that's that's how you die in the 1900s, I guess. She yeah. would start modeling and acting a bit uh, in little bit parts around LA. By virtue of how famous Fatty was, the details I just put down for Virginia, that's basically it. Because Virginia was, I hate to say it, but she was kind of a nobody. She's only famous yeah, yeah. because of how she died and because it was Fatty that was a part of us. So that's basically it. One thing, one detail about Virginia that was kind of cool that I read was that she was actually buried at our favorite outdoor movie venue, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Remember Cinestia? Nice. Yep. Good yeah. for her. Yeah. Very cool way to go. So going back to Fatty. So in 1921, him and his two friends decided to take a weekend trip from Los Angeles to San Francisco. They rented three rooms. One room was for Fatty and one of his friends to share. The other was for the other friend. And then there was a third room that was the party room. So basically, 
they just wanted San Francisco to party. That was the entire idea. Great. Women started pouring in because, again, this is like the most famous guy in town. He shows up. He's in your city. And among the women that showed up was Virginia. So going forward, I'll say that we don't have a ton of details of what actually happened. We have very credible or sorry, not credible, the opposite, non-credible witness testimony about what happened. We have a corrupt DA and we have Fatty's word and we don't know if we can trust Fatty. So a lot of what what I'm going to discuss here, it's just straight facts of how she was found and what some assumptions were made around what happened to her, basically. Virginia was found to be very unwell and was taken to a doctor because back then hotels had doctors on staff. She was taken to a doctor and the doctor concluded that she was just super, super drunk. Three days later, she hadn't improved and a friend took her to a hospital. And this friend, her name is Bambina Delmont. And at the hospital, the friend Bambina told doctors that Fatty had raped Virginia. At the time, doctors found no evidence of rape. But again, this is like several days later. So like, I don't, I don't know how likely that would have been anyways. And it ended up being that Virginia died the next day of a thing called peritonitis, peritonitis which is basically inflammation in the abdominal wall that's just left untreated, which it was, because she actually had a ruptured bladder. So she had a ruptured bladder, and apparently she'd had that for like at least these three days where she wasn't getting any medical attention because everybody thought she was drunk, and then she died of it. Same page? Yes. Okay. Um, Absolute same page. Got it. I think that friend also is controversial, right? Very controversial. Very controversial. So... Once this happened and Bambino told the police that Fatty raped Virginia, the police decided that this is the craziest thing ever. So because Fatty was fat, which well, she wasn't even that fat, I'll get into that. They assumed that the ruptured bladder, which was the co- ultimate cause of her death, was caused by him laying on her until the bladder ruptured, which is like, yes. it's ludicrous. So yeah. it's ludicrous. But this story broke and it became huge, huge news. So the Hearst Media Empire was basically built on the back of this story. Uh-huh. Like this was kind of the start of yellow journalism, which I'll get into here in a moment. But it was basically like, imagine if we found out tomorrow the rock killed somebody, like it killed a woman. Right. Like it would be all everywhere. It would be talking yeah. about this. Yeah. There were stories that this is so gross. So there were stories that an ice pick had been inserted in Virginia, and then that eventually morphed into like Coke cans and champagne bottles basically the media just like took this idea of fatty rupture this woman's bladder and just like totally ran with it and just made yeah stories up so this is where convergence of several things come together so when i i wrote down several bullet points here the first one is a rush to judgment so i think just generally as humans we have a societal inclination to want to watch successful people fall from grace yeah and Totally. This this was the guy. This was the this was the, the highest of the high guys. The other thing I wrote down was yellow journalism. So th- apparently back then, like journal journalism really wasn't even a thing. They would just write whatever they wanted to, and uh-huh. they would let what it was basically what clickbait is today. Back then, so they would just write what the yeah. public w- wanted to hear, and then once they get feedback on the public opinion, they just keep reinforcing that. Yeah, I wrote down like so much of what we know about what happened in Virginia just came from these stories that the Hearst Media Empire kind of generated. For example, yeah. that, that story I mentioned about the ice pick being inserted in Virginia, there was actual witnesses at the party that said that Fatty was actually rubbing ice on her stomach because she was in pain. And that morphed yeah. into this. There's Hollywood abuse. So this is the obvious trope of an incredibly powerful, successful Hollywood man and a naive young starlet trying to break into the industry. There is obvious fat shaming going on here so the fact mm-hmm. that the paper turned this into he laid on her and due to his immense weight ruptured her bladder it's crazy he weighed 250 to 300 pounds at his heaviest he was 300 pounds which is like heavy but like not like a wrecking ball size i mean i think yeah. like, there's a lot of guys walking around at 300 pounds i mean I, w- I wouldn't want them sitting on me but i gotta be hurt if they did um <laughs> i mean definitely now <laughs> yeah, definitely now. Def- I mean, yeah, he definitely stood out back then, I'm sure. It's worth noting that I've been calling him fatty this whole time. He was actually super self-conscious about his weight. You brought this mm-hmm. up when I talked about um, Chris Farley. Chris Farley, about how that reminds me, yeah. Chippendale, is that what it was? Yeah, how sad he was. Because yeah. he was like fat shaming, yeah. Yeah, and, and I read that here too, where he would deliberately not do like the fat guy 
things of like the gags because he was just he just it, he was self-conscious he didn't want to be known as that kind of a person and yeah anytime somebody would call him fatty he would tell them he'd remind them that hey i have a name it's roscoe like he never I, he I, would never I call imagine. him fatty yeah. Yeah, yeah and then the last bullet point of the convergence of things here i wrote that was basically medical neglect it took three days to get her to the 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 hospital and the one consistent thing amongst all witnesses credible or not at the party were that she was in writhing agony and pain and nobody did anything they took her down to the doctor and the doctor said she's drunk and then all they did when she got to the hospital was pump her full of morphine so they didn't even address the fact that she had a ruptured bladder like none of that came to light until her autopsy so right that's where that's where it all kind of came together by this point, the entire country was basically ready to lynch Fatty because of those points coming together, especially the Hollywood abuse side of it. He uh-huh. was ultimately indicted for manslaughter in San Francisco and went to trial. The prosecutor was a guy named Matthew Brady, and Brady really had some ambitions. His idea was he was going to use this case as a stepping stone to ultimately work his way up to mayor and then governor of California. That was his idea. Yeah. And he was basically willing to do whatever it would take to do that. And we're going to see that here in a moment. He started by threatening the main witness, another model who was at the party named Betty Campbell. She testified that she thought Fatty had raped Virginia. He also put a doctor on the stand who testified that fingerprints on the door of the Mm -hmm. room proved that Virginia tried to escape but was forced back in by Fatty, which, like, how would you know that? The idea was, like, she maybe she gripped it and then, like, she was pulled back. But how would you know any of that? It's, yeah, yeah he could have just grabbed the door handle door. like a normal person and trying to leave a room. Yeah, yeah. Also, like the testimony was irrelevant because they actually pulled the hotel maid who testified that she had wiped the entire room clean, including the doorknobs, before the investigation even started. Oh. So, yeah, because again, it was like three, four days after this That's happened something. that she died. So, of course, they, they turned the room over, right? Fatty testified yeah, in his of own trial. There's plenty and... of people that have died in the hotel room that you're in right now. I don't. Actually, yeah, in this hotel, probably a lot of people have died. I mean, Ireland's pretty old, so and this is an old hotel, and it's an old part of town. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably sleeping in a dead woman's bed right now. That's what I mean. Fatty testified his trial, and his version of events is that he discovered Virginia vomiting in his toilet. He, she asked him to lie down in his bed. He carried her to the bedroom and then asked other party guests to look after her. Virginia started convulsing, and they put her in the bathtub full of cold water to kind of I don't know why they, they said it was to calm her down. I don't know why that would calm anybody down. And apparently it, it was at this point that Virginia starts like ripping her clothes off and just like convulsing violently. And wow. that's when they, that's when they call the, the hotel doctor who was like, Oh yeah, she's drunk. That's all. That's all this is. Uh, after jury, jury deliberations, they were deadlocked with 10 voting for not guilty and two saying he did it. And so a mistrial was happening. And when a mistrial happens, it's like, you just, in a lot of cases, you just keep going. You just keep trying. And that's what they did here. Right. So a few months later, Fatty was retried. And the exact same thing happened, except the jury uh, except the jury this time was obviously a new jury. And there was a few witnesses who mostly just referenced the fact that the head prosecutor asked him to lie. Like, that was yeah. basically it. Like, there was other witnesses that came forward saying, this guy keeps trying to get me to lie. And again, yeah, another mistrial. So as all this is going on, Fatty has basically been turned into a social pariah. So yeah, he's not working. And because actors are contracted out through their uh, production companies the way they were, they had full control over what you could say and what you couldn't say. So privately, a lot of celebrities were in support of Fatty because they all knew him. And they were like, there's no way this guy can yeah. talk to anybody. But publicly, they all said, you can't talk about this. You can't come out in support of this guy. For sure, not in support of him. Don't talk about it at all, but definitely not in support of him. And so he was, yeah, persona non grata in Hollywood, so he couldn't work. So that obviously means he's, like, hemorrhaging cash and losing a lot of societal status as a result of this. At this time, there was a third trial, and that time he was actually found not guilty. So that time it was 12 not guilty. He was fully acquitted. Interesting fact here is that the jury, in a super rare move, wrote a letter to Fatty apologizing for wasting his time. And that letter, in part, read... This is a quote from that letter. Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel that a great injustice has been done done to him. We feel also that it was only <laughs> our plain duty to give him this exoneration under the evidence. 
for there was not the slightest proof adduced to connect him in any way with commission of a crime. We wish him success and hope that the American people will take the judgment of 14 men and women who have sat and listened for 31 days to evidence that Roscoe Arbuckle is entirely innocent and free of all blame. So at this time, like now on reflection of what happened, most likely happened to her, the biggest assumption is that she had an abortion. Virginia had an abortion that didn't go well. And that was the cause of the ruptured bladder. So that was, that's, the prevailing theory right now nobody thinks that this guy sat on her or anything else happened that's yeah. the only way that he can make sense of what happened to her was basically that all that being said fatty's status never came back obviously this trial wasn't cheap he was basically reduced to nothing he sold his house he sold his cars everything his wife left him like he was like this guy's life was ruined basically and also movie theaters just wouldn't yeah. show yeah they just wouldn't show his films anymore so there was a bunch of films that he made that were supposed to be released that weren't released because this happened. Yeah, I wrote down the people that supported him. So Buster Keaton was his like number one supporter. Like he was very, very famous. They did a lot of movies together. They were actually in Keystone Cops together as well. And, um, mm. and he's the one who financially supported Fatty during all this. So, like, sure, making $3 million, even, like back then, even today, I mean, back then was a ton of money. But you bleed through that pretty quickly when you have to hire all these lawyers for three trials over and over again. You're not able to work. And as a result, of that, yeah. Buster Keaton was the one who basically came forward and paid his expenses so he could survive, essentially. That's nice. He would eventually move on and would work uh, in other ways in Hollywood. So he would be like a production person. He would do, he would do camera equipment stuff and, and all that. It was basically just like charity because people who knew him were like, you totally got railroaded, dude. Like this is, there was no way this should have happened to you. And we need to find a way so you can make a living. And this is all you really know how to do. And so that was, that was it. He basically did that. And there's a story there that he, um, on the last day he was alive, he went out with a bunch of friends and he was quoted as saying, this is the best day of my life. This is like years after the trial. And then he ended up dying of a heart attack that night at 46 years old. Again, this guy was like the funny yeah. dude. He was like the he was the guy you want around. And everybody would say after this happened to him, he was just a shell. He just walked around like just like a yeah. shell of a human being. Like he was just completely mentally crippled by this. Which like, yeah, yeah, of course he was. <laughs> like, like yeah, of course. And at this time, now the presumption is that he was hundred percent innocent. So, yeah, in recent, in the recent past, like. Hollywood has tried to atone for what they did to him and they gave him a a star, his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And they've, there's been multiple attempts to try and make a movie out of this. So it's crazy. Take a guess at maybe one or two of the actors who were supposed to play Fatty Arbuckle that didn't. Is it not Chris Farley? Is Chris Farley in the list? Chris Farley. Is that too long ago? Yeah. No, it's Chris. It's crazy. It's Chris Farley. It's John Candy, and it's John Belushi. So all three of these guys were connected wow. to do a film, a biopic about Fatty Arbuckle's life, about this case in, in his life, and they all died in like they in, in the development stage. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's like a, it's like a cursed movie. Yeah. So, so I was um ah uh, I was thinking about like the red flags here, like what I was like looking out for, and it was like man, like I think part of it is like. We got to first off say that Virginia has no blame in this at all. She never said that. She yeah. never said that. It was all these other ancillary people. The thing I didn't mention is that B- Bambino woman who did say Fatty raped her in the hospital. She also, yeah. before she said that, called Fatty's lawyer saying, you need to send me cash. Otherwise, I'm going to tell the, them that he raped her. So like that actually came out during the trial as well that he tried, she tried to swindle money out of out of um fatty before going and saying that this happened so like it's yeah i don't what trust her at all yeah it yeah. sucks what happened to virginia but be aware be self-aware like if you're like a successful person or you're like high up like just don't put yourself in situations where this is a possibility because this could happen um i i, I was trying to think of like another case where i've seen this this isn't that common is it because usually when it's a lecherous hollywood man it's true I don't know how many times people like die. It was definitely like sexual assault cases against famous people, but I can't yeah. remember anyone like 
being murdered or dying because it does sound like, like i feel like i'm remembering stuff i've read about it like it sounds like virginia was sick like there's something wrong initially um and then that friend just like wanted attention and the media just like wanted the the ad revenue and the attention like always you know and yeah and they like ruined his life like i definitely i think i listened to a couple things about it but i don't think that he did it yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's 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 like it's almost like bible truth i don't yeah. know if that's a word bible that he fact. didn't do it yeah they didn't do it like everybody's every just like yeah of course you didn't do it but like at that yeah. point the it was like let's just destroy this guy because he's like uh i mean also was this like around the great depression it was like right before it i think if you're saying it's the 20s yeah it would have been 21 when yeah it's before it but also like yeah he's definitely like a rich person and everybody else is poor yeah yeah okay so 29 was a great depression it's so like yeah there's probably a steady buildup of people like you know you're watching this guy who's making all this money and then mm-hmm. you're broke and yeah it's not gonna it's not gonna lead to good feelings and as a 20s isn't it it's i think it's prohibitions so probably like look but partying can get you Maybe yeah things like that too yeah it's a good point yeah yeah so yeah i think like, i think that's my takeaway from this is like yeah if you're like successful if you're high up there like the world is just looking for a reason to knock you off that pedestal like everybody's actively trying to distinguish extinguish your success so like just be careful mm-hmm. there's also a, a tiny to get political a tiny smidge of abortion should be legal so that they, they can be safe was, because so, otherwise was, so here's the thing taylor like i don't actually know if abortion was illegal back then because back then medicine was basically just like going to a barber shop and getting like sawed in half like well, see, what... that's fair it would be that again if it was illegal was abortion illegal in, in 1920 Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So prior to 1969, abortion was punishable by life in prison. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, good point. Good point. There's also, I mean, at the same time, like, I still wouldn't want to get an abortion by a doctor in the 1920s. Like, it still sounds like it was, it it would be close to a death sentence, but. Right, no, I mean, she, she had, she was sick and they were like, oh, she's drunk. Like, they, the doctor did not help her at all. No. So. That's certainly part of it, too. Yeah. Don't get yeah. sick in the past. Don't get sick in the past. That's another lesson. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my story. Cool. I like it. Thank you. I like that you did an older one. I was thinking, am I getting too close to history stuff? It's fine. Okay. If I overstep, yeah. you'll tell me, right? I'll let you know. Okay. We have we have boundaries. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Perfect. Um. Cool. Well, thank you. I'm going to maybe watch some Keystone Cops later. Watch it looked, it around. Looked, it looked funny. I mean, Buster Keaton was in it. Um, yeah, he's funny. And then one of uh, Fatty's uh, nephews was in it, too. And so oh, it's cute. just, I don't know, it's just like a cool little time capsule of, like, the 1920s. Yeah, totally. I love it. Well, I'm actually going further in the future than 1920. That wow. Is today. I know. Wow. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking about you being in ireland and flying there and you had mentioned that you wanted to go to belfast to see the where the titanic uh launched from and then i was thinking like what else went from europe to america and like we've been trying to really crack this code of, of getting across the pond for you know for centuries so another famous um thing that went from from europe to the u.s was an airship called the hindenburg oh that's awesome i'm going to tell you about the tragedy of of the airship hindenburg the hindenburg was made by the zeppelin company also known as luftschiffbau zeppelin it was founded in 1908 by count ferdinand von zeppelin so like the guy's name is zeppelin which is fun he was a german inventor an aviation pioneer and he was born on July 8th, 1838 in Constance, Germany. So we're like, it starts off in like the early 1900s. And then the Hindenburg, you'll, you'll find out, crashed in 1937. So that's kind of where the story ends. Um, Count von Zeppelin had a distinguished military career. He was in the Prussian army. During his military service, he gained experience in engineering and aeronautics. So this is like the very beginning of like, maybe we can do stuff in the sky. He went to, he came to the U.S. to observe um, during the American Civil War because what 
happened here is that people use balloons, like hot air balloons for reconnaissance for like the first time. So like the first time that you could like of another army's stuff. That was never, never a thing in the history of the world. And I definitely remember being a kid and like reading a book about women who would like take their hoop skirts, like their big dresses and make them into hot air balloons so that they could do that like reconnaissance. I don't know if that's really? true or not, but I read it. It was like a book I read a little. I, I think that's probably true because during wartime, you know, you like get rid of all your stuff to like help the the cause. So, yeah. um, but we use hot air balloons for that. And, and Zeppelin, he, he came here and observed them. He worked with the French and other countries to perfect his ideas. And he uh, eventually invented the airship. So he, so just for the record, Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin passed away in 1917, which is about like nine years after he started his company. The first successful flight of a Zeppelin, the LZ-1, took place on July 2nd, 1900. Eventually, there were more flights. Germany used a Zeppelin as an aerial bomber during World War I. They used it to bomb France, the UK, and Belgium. It's a very, very German invention. Wait, so, so did, it's like, did he invent the concept of an airship? Yes. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty, like, revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, like, there were, like, kind of planes a little bit during this time. That was, like, that was starting, but it was, like, how can we get in the air faster, you know? And that's why he was thinking, like, a ship. And the only really concept you had for, like, long-distance travel also was a ship. Ship, yeah. You know? Because it takes, like, 10 days to cross the Atlantic on a ship, like a steamer, you know? So... You have that idea that it's going to take a long time and it has to be huge. Right. Did you ever watch Fringe, that show? Uh, if I did, I don't remember it. Well, two things. One, did you ever, oh, my God. This is like, this is a, a thing and a thing. Did you ever watch Hot Tub Time Machine? Oh, yeah. Did you see Hot Tub Time Machine 2? No. Okay, it's better than the first one. It's so good. But one of the the, the son will, will go, this is just like Fringe. And then everybody else will go, you're a fucking nerd. And nobody <laughs> likes you. And nobody likes you. It's so funny. Um, so whenever I think of Fringe, I think of that. And then also, so Fringe is very complicated. But there's like an alternate universe. And the only difference is that 9-11 didn't happen and there are Zeppelins. It's hilarious. Because you like cool. know you're in that universe because you see the, see the Twin Towers. And also there are Zeppelins. Do you remember... Do you remember in Hot Tub Time Machine when that guy went back and he created Lugal? Yes. <laughs> so good. So I literally good. was listening to a Motley Crue song in the car. And I, I only know it. I know it best from being a Motley Lou song from <laughs> Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> oh, man. I need to rewatch that now. It's, watch it. The second one's so good. You have to watch it. You've also probably heard that the Empire State Building was planned to be like a place where you could drop people off in Zeppelins. But it yeah. ended up being too windy up there. Makes sense. So the basic framework of a Zeppelin is an oblong shape. You know what it looks like. It has an aluminum frame because aluminum is very light. It's covered in fabric. The fabric is painted over with a few layers of like special paint and chemicals to make it sturdy. The Zeppelin itself is full of hydrogen. Hydrogen is lighter than air, so it floats, but it's obviously very flammable. Like yeah. that's the thing. When a better gas to use than hydrogen would be helium. But helium is a naturally occurring gas, and we're currently in a helium shortage. During the early 1900s, when the Germans were like, oh, we should try helium, the only people that really had an abundance of helium was the United States, and we would not give it to them. Okay, so, so they had no they choice had but to use hydrogen. Yeah. Right now, scientists estimate that at the current rate of global consumption, we have enough helium for like another 100 to 200 years, and then it'll be over. No more balloons. So, in 300 years, yeah, no balloons at your birthday parties. Future kids. Ha. Yeah. That's Take to be that. you. Yeah. Oh, my God. And and that, along with how we feel about clowns, is going to completely destroy the clown community. It's going to be over. Absolutely. I mean, There's no helium. Uh, we wouldn't give it to them because it's the early 1900s and we don't trust them. And so it's filled with hydrogen. There's essentially like 16 giant balloons in the middle of the Zeppelin filled with hydrogen. There's fins that do the direction, so on like the sides and the back to help it go up and down. There's like an engine and some like propellers. There's a control room. Um, it has wheels like a um, like a ship wheel to keep it steady and to keep it going up and down. So the captain kind of works in there. In some cases, like in the Hindenburg, there's passenger cars. There's a restaurant, like also in Indiana Jones. Do you remember that part of Indiana Jones? 
when they're getting no. on the airship, and then he's like, "No ticket," because he punches that guy and he goes out the window. I yeah, believe I that to watch I have, he, every time I leave this podcast, I'm like, man, that's like seven more hours of media consumption for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, whatever. It's pre-plane travel, but planes are are close. Um, the problem right now is they don't know how to press pressurize an airplane so it has to fly low and that takes a long time to to go and it's very dependent on the weather because so now you know you fly above the weather but you couldn't do that then the zeppelin also was not pressurized so it was also pretty dependent on the on the weather um, and then there was also some water like a whole bunch many tanks of water in it that they could like that they could ballast out so like dump out the water so that it would go up and down so shit, all kinds of different a... ways to make it move there's Nazi flags on the side of this thing. I'm going to get to that. No, that's the craziest part, I think. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Okay. So it sounds scary and kind of fun. The current Zeppelin that you might think of would be the good, the Goodyear Blimp. And Goodyear Blimps were actually just balloons, like a big hot air balloon, until 2014, um, when they started getting remade as helium Zeppelins. Goodyear actually works with Germany's ZLT Zeppelin Lufschenk, which is the same company that Zeppelin started. So... It the company is like back and making zeppelins, and that's what Goodyear worked with to make these new um, Goodyear like blimp zeppelins. After World War One, the Treaty of Versailles told Germany they couldn't make any more zeppelins for their military, and they made them destroy all of them. Wow. So the company con- continued and did passenger zeppelins, and then after in World War Two, they built the V two rocket for the Nazis, and the company dissolved right before World War Two ended. But they had some money kind of set aside, and it was re, re like created in the 1990s. So yeah, it's a very Nazi thing, like you were saying, which is not what I remembered. Are you going to go into more detail about what the passenger experience was on the Hindenburg? Yeah. Okay, then I will okay. suspend questions. Going back to the beginning, even though it sounds scary, and like because you're like in this big, huge, huge thing. Zeppelins are actually a pretty safe way to travel. For the first 30 years or so, there are a few accidents, but Germans are very confident that this is like, this is it. This is the way to travel. One notable Zeppelin was the Graf Zeppelin. In 1929, it flew around the world. On August 7th, 1929, it left from Friedrichshafen, Germany, and it took 21 days to travel all around the world. It stopped in the Soviet Union, Japan, the United States. People were super excited. Because they had done this traveling fast as anybody had ever traveled around the world. There were a couple accidents. Some in the 1900s where people crashed and nobody died. There was one in 1910, the LZ-7, known as the Deutschland, caught fire and crashed during a test flight. Two people died. In 1913, the LZ-20, known as the Zeppelin L-2, crashed and all 28 crew members on board died. Um, and then in 1933, the USS Akron which was not a Zeppelin, but an airship, because it was from the United States, um, encountered severe weather, and they crashed, and 73 people died in, in that one. So there are accidents, but also, like, what transportation isn't perfect. You know, there's, like, one story where a Zeppelin disappears over the ocean, like, it never made it, but, like, that happened the other day with that Malaysia airline flight. So Yeah, I was going to say, also, like, I mean, by compar- I mean, planes couldn't have been super reliable, right? Yeah, 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 totally. So I don't, yeah, I don't think it's like crazy. It's not crazy dangerous. So let's. I'll talk about the Hindenburg itself and what was happening inside of it. It was named after the German president Paul von Hindenburg. Hindenburg is the guy who appointed Hitler as chancellor. Bad so, move. Bad move. Yeah, bad move. It is one of the largest airships ever constructed. It was completed in 1936. It was 803 feet in length. So like five passenger planes like really big the inside the ship itself there was like the gondola which is the part that like you see that hangs off the bottom that's where like the captain was and and um the crew where they could like guide the ship the passenger quarters were kind of inside the balloon part on the bottom like layered on the bottom and they had windows that were like curved going out so if you were like in an egg sitting on the bottom of the egg you know what i mean okay flat yeah. There were two decks, A deck and B deck. The decks had uh, sleeping quarters that were really small, like a small little room with bunk beds. And then it had, like, there's a bathroom. There was, and then there were, like, some lounges, places where you could, you know, hang out. So, also, for the rest of the ship, because that's only a tiny part of it where the passengers were, for the rest of it, you know, like it's, like, it's this big space with this 
these big balloons of gas and there was a corridor that went through the balloons and in the middle of that there were some rooms for storage and for the crew so it must have been like really dark and loud and scary inside of I was that corridor say, it sounds scary as shit yeah thing is huge the only windows are on the side yeah so you could like walk like you know 800 feet in this like dark tunnel surrounded by flammable gas uh, yeah, above the ocean. Yeah, there's also a, a reading and writing room to send telegraphs, so you could like read and send messages to people um, in that room. And there was also a smoking room, which people think is funny and like is definitely funny, but people couldn't handle being on a three day trip and not smoking. Like yeah. that was the problem with the Graf Zeppelin. Like it was like people were like, I can't, I'm not going to go on this trip for a week and not smoke a cigarette. So they made a room that was pressurized, and you had to go in and you'd be smoking there. There was one electric lighter allowed on the entire thing. You weren't allowed to bring in matches or lighters or anything. Like You were like searched before you got on, and you could smoke in that room. The smoking room is not the problem. It's not the thing that exploded. It just like, happened to be a room where you could smoke on this like bomb, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like how you phrase that. Smoke inside this bomb. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. A safe way to smoke inside a bomb. <laughs> There was a bar that had paintings of flamenco dancers on the side. There was a lounge with a piano. The piano was specially made out of aluminum to be lighter than a regular grand piano, because otherwise it would be too heavy to be on the ship. There is a website that I'll share called on airships.net. There's a lot of pictures of the inside of it. So it's like a nice, like luxurious way to travel. So it's a really nice lounge. You, the, the windows are kind of on kind of on the side, like looking down so you could look down. The rooms are small, but it's a short trip. It's like two and a half days so people would you know be able to go on it and then just like kind of hang out and then be across the pond um, it, feel, it seems like most of anything pasture related would have to be inside of the actual balloon yes so the gondola is tiny yeah it's inside the balloon um if you look at the picture of the Hindenburg, you see little tiny windows at the bottom of the balloon those are the windows from the passengers the passenger yeah. decks yeah so they were like in the bottom of the balloon they weren't in the gondola which i thought they right were, but they, they weren't yeah a ticket on the Hindenburg one way was approximately $450, which is $9,400 today. Wow. So it was like a luxury thing. It can cross the ocean in two days. Ships take like a week. Before 1937, the Hindenburg made 17 round trips to and from Germany, 10 to the U.S. and 7 to Brazil. Super successful. No problems. Now it is May 3rd, 1937. And Hindenburg is about to come to the U.S. again. 1937 is a crazy time to be in Germany. Hitler was appointed chancellor in 1933. The Nazis are getting worse and worse and worse. It's very totalitarian. It's a year before Kristallnacht when they started to be like very publicly violent towards towards Jews. But they've been, you know, doing terrible things for now for for years now. There's propaganda. There's the Gestapo, there's the SS. It's a year before the official outbreak of World War II, but Germany is starting to invade other countries. So it's like, a it's starting gearing up for war. Someone actually wanted to rename the Hindenburg the Hitler, which is oh. like unbelievable. But also like Hindenburg isn't a good guy, but it just doesn't have the same like tone yeah, as naming the, the Hitler. The visceral reaction isn't quite there. Yeah, not the same. Um, so this is the thing that I think is is crazy that there's like very scary propaganda posters that show like the Hindenburg and Zeppelins with the swastika with like the eagle with like the scary German things. Yeah. Do you remember when we went to that German propaganda yeah. exhibit at the library? Yeah, so yeah. it was at the LA Public Library like several years ago but we went and it showed a bunch of the propaganda and then some of the takeaways were like imagine what they could have done with the internet you know like it could be exponentially more scary now and then also like this happened because good people were like it's no big deal and then it got out of control and then it was too late you know yeah. so it was like a, a I thought that was a very good message like you have to stand up right now before that thing so happened. it there is something unusually daunting and scary about this thing with nazi symbology all over it because it's just a giant i mean it looks like a missile like it looks like it a looks giant like a bomb yeah like a big silver thing yeah totally and like swastikas are fucking scary like yeah they were like hearing the word hitler like you're afraid like it's a scary symbol to see so the hindenburg leaves germany on may 3rd 1937 97 people were on board they approached the u.s on may 6th so three days later they're heading for lakehurst new jersey 
and that's where the landing strip is and where where they can land. There's also a lot of reporters there. The Zeppelin company really wanted reporters to be there whenever they landed. This was the first flight of the season, so they wanted everybody to, you know, record it and be like, Zeppelins, they're awesome, you know. So the weather starts to get bad. It starts to get rainy. It starts to get kind of windy. And so to they need to delay their landing. So they swing by New York City. And this is the part that's fucking insane because they flew an airship with swastikas on it over New York City. Like that blows my mind. There's, yeah, but picture, at that time, there's video of it. But at that time, that was just a country's flag, right? It didn't have no, that I know. meaning. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, but you like kind of knew, like I feel like people did not know. It wasn't like zero. Like You knew that yeah. like, and also people were still probably mad at Germany since we just did this. Right, right. You know? The Empire State Building was built in 1931, so people were could have been on top of the Empire State Building, 100 or so stories up, like watching this. And I have video of it that I'll I'll share. When I was living in New York City, I worked at a hedge fund, and I was on the 38th floor of a building overlooking um, Central Park. It was beautiful and an awesome view. I saw two crazy things from being up there. I saw the space shuttle being brought to to DC on top of an airplane. I yep. remember that happened. It was yep. like hugging it. It was super. I cute. saw that too, actually. Yeah. So I watched that out the window. And I also saw the um the miracle on the Hudson plane in the in the Hudson. You saw um, that landing? I didn't see it crash, but I saw it floating and I knew it was happening because my friend Juliana from work, she had left work early to go home to New Jersey and she was on the ferry that pulled people out of the water. Wow. So she was like literally like giving people her coat and pulling them out of the water, but I saw it floating from the building that I was in. So you see crazy things. One experience. Over New York City. But I just, I had never heard that it had swastikas on it, that Hindenburg had swastikas. So that kind of blew my mind. Please um, do, if you do Hindenburg, New York City, would you see it? Yeah. There's a, um, a five minute newsreel um, from Britain. I'll send you the link and you can see it and it shows it like a video. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So the weather is getting it bad. Looks, it looks like an act of aggression. It doesn't look like. That's what I'm saying. It's scary. <laughs> like, yeah. It's scary. And and they've they've used Zeppelins to bomb, you know, the UK during World War One. Like they've used them for that thing. Yeah. So now it's heading back towards New Jersey. It took it was about a twelve hour delay that they had because of weather. So kind of like floating around trying to figure out when they can land. The captain, Max Proust is attempting to maneuver the airship for landing. It took about three hours to get from New York to, to New Jersey. So technically they could have waited more, but because like they don't really like, they kind of float up there for indefinite amount of time, but they wanted to, to land and get going. There are passengers waiting to return to Germany. So they were going to flip it around and go right back to Germany. So they started to, as they start to kind of go into, into New Jersey, the back of the Hindenburg is a little low, like, lower than you'd expect it to be. So they start dropping some of the water ballast to kind of get it to go up. You don't know exactly what was happening because there isn't like a black box of recording, you know, so you don't know exactly what they were thinking. They could have potentially like has sent a guy back to like check on it, what was going on inside of it. They dropped their anchor lines. So they dropped their anchor lines and those hit the ground. And approximately four minutes later, flames erupted. And that's what you see in the new in the newsreels is the is it is it burning? So have you heard Herbert Morrison's live account? Oh, yeah. Of the humanity? Okay, I'm going to read oh, it yeah. in a second. But also, do you remember in, like, elementary school, learning about War of the Worlds? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the Orson, um, Welles. Orson Welles, yep, yep. And they, like, make it seem, they did when I was, like, in third grade, like, people were dumb for believing that War of the Worlds was, was happening and that it was, like, their fault. But if you ever really listen to it, it's fucking scary. It sounds like a newsreel. Like, you wouldn't know that it was someone acting. The only thing that's really kind of weird is, like, the time doesn't make sense, but I don't know how you would know it wasn't real. Like, yeah, I mean, that form of entertainment didn't exist. So, like, why, yeah. why would you, yeah, why would you ever assume it was, wasn't real? Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to do my best Herbert Morrison impression. Let's hear it. Ready? Okay. So he's with Charlie, his engineer. Charlie is his like engineer, and Herbert Morrison is a reporter from Chicago. So he says, it's starting to rain again. Uh, the rain sucked up a bit. The back motors of the ship are just holding it, just enough to keep it from. It's burst into flames. It's burst into flames, and it's falling. It's crashing. Watch it. Watch it, folks. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get this, Charlie. Get this, Charlie. It's burning. It's crashing. It's crashing. Terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames. And the 
it's falling and the mooring mass and the folks between, oh, this is terrible. This is one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's flames crashing. Oh, four or 500 feet in the sky. And it's, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. It's smoke and it's flames now. And the frame is crashing to the ground, not quite to the mooring mast. Oh, the humanity. All the passengers screaming around here. I told you, I can't even talk to people. Their friends are on there. I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honest, it's just laying there a mass of smoking wreckage and everyone can hardly breathe and talk and the screaming lady i am sorry honest i can't hardly breathe i'm going to step inside where i cannot see it charlie this is terrible i can't listen folks i'm gonna have to stop for a minute because i've lost my voice this is the worst thing i've ever witnessed and that was those three seconds wow that feels um that that really like puts you there in the moment like you i mean the way you, you read it really well because like i could feel the panic the way you read it thank you yeah like, i mean i didn't even think about like people are waiting for their friends with like the yeah. welcome home signs you know and they're watching it explode like crazy. crazy the frame the flame started in the tail rapidly spreads through the ship the hydrogen ignited fireball 30 seconds and it's gone people were jumping out of the cabins people on the ground running and screaming 36 people died 13 passengers and 22 crew members and one worker on the ground so a fair amount of people more than half people did survive yeah, because it was, wasn't it like close to the ground already? So it's not like it, and I would imagine as the flames are running through the thing, the gas is like gradually escaping, not like it's just like gone and then you're dropped to the ground. Like I would imagine it hit the ground harder than you'd want it to, but not like insanely hard. Like, well, it didn't, didn't it? Cause it was, it did, it, it didn't like, you're right. It didn't like crash into the ground, like a plane crashed into the ground. It kind of like flew to the ground, but also like it's a fireball on top of it. You know, it's like all fire, and then like a little bit where passengers are, and that fire is on top of them. So yeah, they were pretty close to the ground. They're about two hundred feet above the ground. People did start to jump out of it. Some crew members even like threw ropes out and like mattresses to help people get out. Um, they op- there was an emergency hatch. They slid down. So some people were like on their way running out of it, and then it crashed on top of them, and they were burned. In the British Pathé News thing that I'll send you and share, they show that happening, and it's awful. Like people are running out of it, and then it just crashes on top of them and it's really awful so the mystery is why did this happen like no one really knows 100 percent what happened and i'll show you i'll share that footage with you but all the footage is from one spot because that's where the reporters were they were in like the reporter area so they all have it from like one angle but there are a lot of videos of it they show people you know jumping and running and being smashed so there had to be a spark somewhere obviously to like start the fire some of the theories are like maybe it was sabotaged because people don't like Nazis. That could be a part of it. Maybe something exploded in the back. Maybe there was a leak. So the back of the ship was like getting lower. So maybe the hydrogen was leaking that you can't really, you didn't really know. And then I watched this documentary on PBS that's like relatively new about a new theory. A man named Howard Schenk, his uncle was there and had a video camera. Like it was like a wind up video camera, but he was in a different spot. So we got a different angle from the Hindenburg that no one has seen before. And from that, they did some, they flew to Germany with like some like air, some experts and they did some experiments. And what they discovered, and I think this is pretty convincing, is because it was raining, the ropes were wet and the top of the Zeppelin was wet as well. And when they dropped the ropes and the ropes hit the ground, oh. it like connected it. And then the whole thing became electrical. And then once that happens, the water creates a spark. So it's like why you don't have like a toaster in the oven. It does. Right. You know what I mean? And so when, when they did it, when they did their experiment, they electrified the rope and then the top of the Zeppelin, they got it wet and it took four minutes to catch on fire, which is exactly what happened on the oh, wow. Hindenburg. So I'm pretty convinced by that. I thought it was really interesting. Um, so because they were like rushing to to go down in the in the rain and just like the way it connected happened to like cause a spark. So after, but they don't know. And we'll never really know for sure because all the evidence is destroyed. It's just like destroyed. There's nothing. There's just like aluminum, burned aluminum girders or whatever. So after this, there were no more transatlantic Zeppelin flights. It was over. People still had, you know, like a ticket to go back that day. And they didn't, obviously. Planes started to get more sophisticated. And then also, like, we're folding into World War II. So there's other things to think about. The last Zeppelin airship constructed by the company was the LZ-130 Graf Zeppelin II. It flew in 1938, but it didn't go across the ocean again. It 
was used for like sightseeing and Nazi propaganda during World War II. Right. I kind of think that I would go. I would go on one because it seems like so weird. Like I feel like we don't even talk about like the two days over the ocean on this. That's crazy. It sounds super scary, but like fun. It it definitely sounds scary. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, also at that hedge fund that I worked at in New York, they would like. Like companies who wanted you to like invest in them would like give you stuff. And two of the guys I worked with got to go on the Goodyear blimp, and they said it was really, really loud. <laughs> that was like their biggest takeaway because like you're below, you're like low, and the windows can be like opened, you know. So like, yeah, it's like a loud thing. So now you can kind of do that, but and I think you can also do like sightseeing blimps like around, obviously. But I also feel like I would not go on a hot air balloon. <laughs> so I don't know. I I read something that hold on, I'm looking this up. There are only 25 blimps in the world right now. Yeah, they're super rare, apparently. Only blimp half them are in use. Oh, I guess they're different, right? Yeah, like a blimp is like a balloon, like a big balloon, and a zeppelin has like the whatever the like metal inside. There were 119 zeppelins built. I mean, there there wasn't a lot of either, basically. Yeah. And if any, I mean, exists, they're so big. Actually, like, where do you put them? Yeah. Yeah, the whole parking thing is really wild. Um, how you're supposed to just like tie it up to? I don't know. It's cool. It's cool. I I would definitely I would love to ride in the Goodyear blimp. I don't think I do a Zeppelin. I do the Goodyear blimp. That's fair. I'd like to do like a. a I think it'd be cool to like sleep in a Zeppelin. Do like a one night in one. I don't I don't know if it's possible, but it sounds but, pretty cool. There's something about like vast open spaces that just scares the hell out of me. No, I think like it would be you're inside that giant eight. What is it? Eight hundred feet. Yeah. It's so scary. So me. scary. So yeah. scary. I don't know, but I feel like it's safe. I feel like now it feels like it would be safer because they have like computers, and also I would want a parachute. <laughs> like I yeah. don't want to do that. Wait, you, wait, so there's actually a page on the Goodyear website on how to get on the blimp. Ooh, can you like sign up? Oh, they're my invitation only. All right, let's get on that list. Okay, we're gonna have to call our agent and tell them to hook yeah. us up. That's our. That's what we want. That's our next step. Figure it out, Larry. Don't want to be blimp named doomed to fail. Uh, I want to be a blimp that's like very successful. Yeah. So we're doing great. So yeah, that's it. They don't really know what happened. Zeppelin's kind of one way they're kind of like a, a cool nostalgia thing to think about, like that we thought it was going to be the thing and, and planes ended up being the thing. I think a, a red flag for this and for a lot of like transatlantic travel, like the Titanic, is like, you know, you want to go to Europe and you want to come to the US and you want to connect it, you want it to be fast and luxurious and like super fun. So one more thing that I wanted to mention real quick is another thing that they tried to do that ended up failing to go back and forth from Europe and uh, the US was the Concorde. Oh yeah. Remember the Concorde? So yeah. a couple of bullets in the Concorde. It was a supersonic jet that flew from the US to to mostly to NYC to London, also flew to Paris and Singapore. The first flight was in 1976. The fastest flight was on February 7th, 1996. The Concorde flew from New York to London in two hours and 52 minutes at the speed of Mach 2. That's so crazy. Right now, it takes seven hours to get to for that flight. Yeah, I've read a lot about um, the Concorde, about how, like, given how fast it flies and how superheated the air outside gets, the thing, like, is elastic like it expands yeah. and contracts like dramatically it has it's a sonic evolved. boom yeah yeah, yeah. well I, and they don't do they don't go sonic until they hit the atlantic i don't think right because loud yeah it would just shatter everybody's windows yeah yeah so they uh it's also very loud like i know someone who took it and she said it was very loud because they're going like supersonic through the air um it was also very luxurious very expensive it could hold 100 people, only like 100 people at a time, passengers. And so because it's so fast, very similar to the Hindenburg disaster, there was one big disaster um, on July 25th, 2000, a Concorde crashed shortly after taking off from Charles de Gaulle Airport. What happened was a strip of metal on the runway caused a tire to burst, leading to rupture the fuel tank. The fuel ignited, massive fire, loss of control. The aircraft crashed into a hotel, resulting in the deaths of all 109 people on board and four people on the ground. Remember this? 
flights were halted. There was a test flight a few days later that had engine failure. It returned safely, but that was the end for the Concorde as well. In 2003, it was grounded for good. They were, you know, super expensive and hard to maintain. They had more fuel than other planes and, you know, not a lot of people could afford to even take it. So they were like, it's kind of outpriced a lot of people. So just like, just like the Hindenburg, you know, one big thing kind of turned the tide on, on that form of travel. I wanted to just say that those are some ways that terrible things can happen when you're going across, um, across the ocean. But I wanted to tell you that on your way home to enjoy your slow, your slow leisurely flight, but also considering how long humanity has been around and that it took Columbus 10 weeks to get to America in the first place. It's pretty good. We're doing pretty good. I, I actually thought the flight here, I mean, it was about eight hours and mm-hmm. easy, easy breezy. Yeah. Like, I there hate, I hate flying, but I thought it was surprisingly easy to just like zone out. I mean, they take, they take care of you, right? Like you get fed and constantly and watered and all that good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's not no Concord needed. It's not too bad. No Concord needed. Exactly. Cool. So that's it. I'll share some videos. It's crazy. It's a crazy crash. Real scary. Yeah. You can yeah. see why it's so famous in like in history and also um a lot more Nazis than I realized. Yeah. Yeah. Well that I I didn't realize there were any. So that was a surprise. Exactly. Yeah. Like I knew there were Germans, but like I forgot that the Germans were Nazis during nineteen thirty seven. There's four Goodyear so. blimps. Yeah, four Goodyear blimps. Yeah. They even have one in Europe. Oh, good for them. Shame they don't let people ride on it. Um Austin Teller, that was cool. Sorry, I'm gonna lean back oh. up. But, yeah. I have um I have some corrections from last week's episode, if okay. you have a second. So yeah, my father-in-law, father-in-law is the doctor, and he listens, and he's the best. So he texted me to tell me that I was wrong about chemotherapy. It's not radiation. There's actually two different things. There's radiation therapy that's more general, where they, like, put you in front of the machine, and, like, radiation, like, goes into your body. And chemotherapy is more, can be more like deliberate and more exact on exactly where it's going. So it's, it's like not radiation. It's like different kinds of drugs that are meant to stop the, um, the cancer from growing. So they both have the same goal, which is to kill and change the cancer cells so that they don't grow anymore. Right now, there's actually some things that people are working on on biological agents, which are called biologics, and they're used usually antibodies that treat autoimmune conditions and cancer. So that's sort of like the next step in in cancer research and cancer care. And so that is, you know, hopefully coming soon, hopefully going to do something really great. This is a terrible, I'm so sorry, Victor. And then, um, so yeah, radiation might happen before chemo, but chemo itself is not radiation. Got it. Got it. Okay. That was a good correction. Yeah, I saw you posted that. You posted that on our Facebook page, I think. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Victor. Thank you. You're the best. Cool. Sweet. Well, thank you, Taylor. Um, I'll go ahead and kill the recording. Again, a like, subscribe, all that, all the good stuff. Um, I'll kill yes. this recording, and this travel will have no impact on our release schedule. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Sweet.